0: Data is the new currency, and your organization is likely still behind the curve to have that data drive results. But you're not alone, as this is an issue experienced throughout most of MedTech. How would your bottom line change if your sales and marketing resources could be at the right place at the right time? Hear from the tech experts today as they review the power of data in this week's episode of the MedTech Business Academy.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the MBA podcast. We're getting our MBA together uh, with the med tech Experts. So uh, joining me today is Barbara Strain, uh, Tom Hickey, Skender, Darity, and the great Mike Spardutti. You've seen him on LinkedIn. Now you get to hear his voice live.
2: Um,
1: so we were just talking about, uh, and I am uh, the pseudo host, Scott Alexander. Um, Mom, I'm glad that you dialed in for this one, too. Um so we were talking about data, right, the importance of data and what it means to the growth of a company in our space. And so, Mike, you were really instrumental in us picking this topic. Do you want to kind of set the stage for what you mean when you talk about the need for
2: data? Sure, Scott. And uh, you know, this is a very, very important subject, I think, for everybody, because, you know, we've all heard about data and data is the new currency. And that's why you have all these legislative issues with Facebook and uh, Instagram and TikTok, but, you know, I think in the med device space, we're still behind the curve in utilizing data to drive results. And what data does in its, in its, in its essence is data just positions you for success a lot faster. So I'll give you an example. So what if I told you that there was a list And there was a magic list of everybody who was in the market for your product or service. And you knew who they currently were doing business with. And you knew that they were in the cycle to buy your product or service. Who listening to this podcast would love a list like that? I think everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Right, Because that would be a lot more efficient in terms of deploying your sales and marketing resources to mm-hmm. be at the right place at the right time, as opposed to just winging it and doing what a lot of you are doing, which is just deploying outside sales resources to drive up, park their car, get out of the vehicle, go to the reception, find the director of whomever it is that you want to sell something to, and hopefully extract that data if they're busy, if they're, if they're not too busy to talk to you. So, I think the conversation that we want to talk about today is you know what data sources are available, how do you build an intelligent database so that way you're at the right place at the right time with your very expensive sales and marketing resources
1: i I agree completely with you about the need for data. we've been doing a lot um, a, a lot of research on what kind of data can you assemble either from publicly available databases or Um, through subscriptions. I mean, everybody knows or at least should know about things like definitive uh, healthcare, right? And and sort of the knock on definitive is they're super expensive, uh, but they have good data, right? They have good data to be able to see procedure volumes, what they're buying, that sort of thing. Uh, But then there are other companies that are doing it like um, MedScout and AcuityMD, which have uh, procedural volumes, right? So that's like a big driver. And then We've, my team particularly has been focused in on um, aggregating procedural volume. Like uh, Medicare publishes this data, right? And so you, it's publicly available information. Um, and we just put together a um, a tool that allows us to see by physician what their procedure volumes are for CMS, right? For Medicare. You can, there's ways to get that, um, that from a commercial standpoint. But imagine if you could take that data, figure out for a given CPT code what your anticipated potential revenue might be, and now your forecasting goes up from like, ah, eh, we think that this is about a million-dollar account to, no, it's a $1.76 million account because of this, this, and this. It just the competitive advantage is stunning to me. Um, and, and yeah, again, it's, it's, it's a big shift for what we're doing for our clients is looking at that kind of data to, to make things more effective.
0: The important thing is once you figure out who you should be going after and then you figure out what that sort of uh, market share might be that you weren't really sure about is now you need specific data to talk about your message. Because Mm -hmm. what is your message? You got to know what their outcomes are. You got to know where they have vulnerabilities, where they have gaps. So there's data for that as well through some of the same sources, but you need to be sure to have data in order to substantiate why you
3: and why Mm -hmm. your product or service. Well, there's that old mantra, right? That everybody used to talk about where knowledge is power. And that's actually a misnomer, right? It's the ability to use that knowledge. That's the actual power. And so I think, I think companies getting more intelligent about how they make approaches to their customer set. And like you were alluding to, Mike, right? The old spray and pray method, send, send a rep in on day one without any information, send them into the in, start of the basement and go upstairs and collect information, <laughs> right? And it takes them four weeks to do so and figure out what that hospital looks like. And then they come out. And now the great thing is, you've got one rep who knows something. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and no I, transfer of yeah. knowledge.
4: I'd I'd like to maybe even back the train up just a little bit um, because we've talked about some great data sources. However, maybe the place to start is within your own systems, right? Such as, you know, everybody uh, I, I think now uses a CRM system, but are, is that up to date number one, right? What types of information can you harvest from your own CRM system you know, can you look at other partners like uh, Tableau who can help you, you know, pull some of that together to look at specific demographics. So even before you go outside looking for it, maybe starting inside and and looking at are your own records up to date. You know, because you look at a customer that you already have that might be on your system, your product for two or three years, they're probably looking to upgrade, right? Mm-hmm. So even just starting there might be a good, a good first step.
2: Yeah. And Tom, I think, you know, everybody's talking about the cost of these data sources. Well, what you're talking about is something that they can start obtaining for free because it's built into the cost that they're paying their salespeople. So think about it. Most people that are using CRM are just using it as a glorified notebook, right? Yes. So it's like, you know, this, this is my contact. This is their phone number. This is their email. And here's some notes about what I'm doing. Whereas if you use these user defined fields that are in a CRM, you can put questions that are mandatory for your salespeople to put the information in there. Like what, what piece of equipment are they using today? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how old is it? Is it under contract? When is it coming under contract? And so now imagine if you did that for, and you deployed that type of strategy on every single phone call, you would know when to call all those accounts at the right time with your own good information that you wouldn't have to pay for. Yeah. Exactly. I've
0: feeling. often advised some of my clients in their CRM, let's look at some new columns. One, you have to go back right now and really update things because too many seats have changed, and so do you even have accurate information but I've told them let's look and talk about a little bit about those organizations. Are they strictly still fee for service? Are they government? Are they, you know, moving to value based care? Just little check marks in different columns
1: so you can have a method of talking to them. Mike, I thought you were going to go somewhere different when you said that, you know, we were talking about how expensive the data is. Because what I what I thought you were going to say is. The reality is that kind of a data is an investment tool. There's an ROI that you can calculate off of that, right? Or at least oh, a, a
2: forecast, right? Look, it's, it's ridiculously inexpensive compared to collecting it by you know, the old fashioned way. Yep. Right. I mean, it's, it's pennies on the dollar as opposed to having you do it on yourself. And also, how long is it going to take for you to do right. it? Mm-hmm. You'll never build that database ever. You just you right. don't have the time to get there. So, you know, my recommendation is, you know, when people are looking at, well, we can't afford the data, guess what? Lose it, lose a salesperson, fire your worst performing salesperson, invest Mm -hmm. all that money into the best data sources and give that data to your best salespeople. And that's going to be a heck of a great return on investment than that terrible sales rep. Absolutely.
1: And and I think I mean, if we look at the economics of our industry, picking up one new account is worth a lot of money, right? No matter what you're doing, if that's not the case, then you you probably need to look at your business model, but winning one more deal is worth thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. Like it's worth a, a lot of money. And so making an investment in the data to make sure that you can come in and be prepared for the conversation, right? Both because you're targeting better. And then to Barbara's point to be able to have the argument around this is why you need our stuff. I mean, you're like, you if you don't if you don't get it right after that, and you can't think through the the business model, you're in trouble, right? I like to be a little confrontational, right?
2: So right. I'll, I'll give you a real life example. So you know, during COVID, uh, I worked with a sleep apnea company and a sleep diagnostic company, and what we did was we bought data from a group called the VGM group, which is the authority in that particular space. I, I, they actually sublicensed that data from LexisNexis. And so we bought that data which showed what physician wrote the most sleep studies and then showed who was getting those sleep studies and who was getting that business. And so we bought that data and then we also bought the Zoom info data which gave us direct dial phone numbers and merged those two databases together. Now, those two data sources, by the way, are a lot of quote unquote money. But the reality is that company was losing significant seven digit millions of dollars uh, when we took over. And by the time, by the time the year was over, we had made over a million dollar profit just by flipping this, the switch and getting their sales force to, call on the right people, and then to Barbara's point, when you know you compete favorably against a certain type of competitor, we called up all of those people first, <laughs> and we hit those right. people first. Yeah. If you want to talk about efficiency and time, that's what data can do for you. I mean,
1: it''s, it's...
4: great Tom. I was going to say there's a, another interesting caveat to that, too, in terms of you know, uh, a prepared sales professional is a confident sales professional, right? You know, and I, I know Mike can tell a bunch of stories about, you know, the sales reps that are afraid to pick up the phone because they're afraid of rejection, right? You know, you ask a sales rep to make, you know, 30 phone calls in a day or whatever, and they find, you know, gosh, I got to reorganize my business cards on my desk. I got to do all this kind of stuff, right? But you give them that power. And I think Skender touched on it, you know, that information is powered now they 've got a comfort level that they know that this target, this individual that they 're going to be calling is is likely to want to talk to them so, yeah, and you want to talk start. about
2: confidence you want to talk about confidence do again you, you you bring them that list, and you say look here's a list of everybody that's using our competitor x, and then I hire Barbara who Barbara then frames this great message on how we 're going to dismantle that, so now I build a talk track. <laughs> That's built uh-huh. right around this so I can go A through Z with a very prepared sales presentation where I know exactly what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. Whatever objection comes up, I have the response ready. Uh-huh. And that's going to create a lot of confidence. It's also going to create predictable and repeatable outcomes. So, so when
1: you start? talk about
2: confidence. Don't be overconfident
0: and say, I know all about you. I have all of your data (laughs) and I know what you need. You know how many times (laughs) I've heard that. So confidence means you know how to pitch it correctly and say it in a way that's going to
2: be acceptable. Yeah, that's a really good point, Barbara, because as everybody knows, the best salespeople aren't uh, telling right exactly why they're the best what they are actually is selling is asking great questions so mm-hmm. what you do is you trap them into the answers that you know you're going to get when you elicit the right questions and it's just like a lawyer you never ask a question that you don't know the answer to
1: mm-hmm. that's right
2: okay so so i'm convinced i'm listening to the podcast i'm like by golly, you guys are geniuses
1: what what do i do how do you start this kind of a process I
0: think it's what Tom
1: said. You have to look
0: internally. What do I already own, and how do I make it better? Because some people think about the fact: I, oh, I have too many blanks. I, have, that's just too much work. You know, I don't even know where to get started. But you got to start somewhere. You need to start internally.
3: And I also think you have to democratize the information, right? That's mm-hmm. a large part of so many of these organizations. And it's what I alluded to before. The old idea was you send a rep in the basement and like go all the way upstairs over the next few days. But if only he has that on a notepad, what good is that to the organization? And and it goes beyond just that hospital understanding that there are certain dynamics of bedside bed size and, This hospital has 400 beds, and therefore they have this size OR and this size ER. Those are all the types of information that you can gain intelligently if you start to democratize the information, the data, and make it allow somebody universally to access it.
4: And and I would add to that, Skender, you know, making sure, you know, breaking down those silos – but also doing it in a way that it's it's a non-threatening environment, and in learning the best practices of your high achievers, and letting them work with those that aren't, you know, perhaps hitting those types of achievement milestones, right? In a in a very non-threatening environment, so you're setting up the right types of mentorships to be able to share that information, and then build on that, right? So it becomes a lot of transparency but also a very secure uh, and
1: mentoring environment to start to build on. The other place that I would focus in on, yes, yes to what has been said. And then the other place that I would say to start it on is um, talking to your sales team about the, the data that is needed in the sales process and um, right, looking to get feedback from like the, the ground game of like, hey, I'd love to be able to do what Barbara's describing where I can tell people, hey, here's the here's the the benefits of using our product from a financial and an operational perspective. Um, one of the things back when I was running the GPO, um, we would run into right. So, so right, I was at Mercy. We had ROI. We had um, a value analysis committee and that sort of thing. And we would have companies all the time show up, and they would have no idea what the financial and the operational capacity or or impacts are to us for buying their product. And those companies got swamped. Like they never, they never got through back. And, and I see a lot of people that are still in that boat, like great financial value propositions. We cure cancer. Fantastic. Okay. What's the financial impact to us? I have no idea. Get out. Like that's, that's the reality of what it is. And so I think that's the next piece is to figure out what kind of data do you have around your product or your service? that you could incorporate into the sales process because the people on the other side of the table, the Barbara Strains, the Scott Alexanders, the the, the folks that are like us wants to see that data. And if you don't have it, you don't get through the door. Mm-mm. Well, it's always shocking to me. And, and,
3: and I say this as a consultant, right? And I, I, I preface this under the perspective of consultants really get paid to do things that other people could do. They just either don't want to do or don't know how to do it, or don't know how to start to do it. Right. But there are so many times where I think about the fact that if you think back to the 1980s, we essentially have a yellow pages, an encyclopedia, and a dictionary, all within literally our fingertips. And oh, it's not coming through on there. But it's literally within our fingertips on these cell phones and smartphones. Yet, there's so many people that are just afraid to do a search. Right, just do it. Just type in a search. Right, Sky, you said you just you you, you set up this whole CMS doctor, yeah, thing by looking at public information. Yeah, yeah, does it take time? Does it take money? Does it take effort to do so? Yeah, but the money is a little bit less than just than having to call somebody else or get the professionals to do it. Mm-hmm. Get the
1: professionals to do it for you faster. Yeah, I just just so you know, here's what I did, and maybe I shouldn't ch- tell my secrets, but all this data is publicly available. Right. I, I started off with a Google search. Uh, I got a number of data sets, and I said, "Hey, this is what I want." So out of it, I want to be able to um, build a a database to be able to type in CPT codes, and then have it spit out doctors with by NPIs. And then we have a proprietary uh, database of contact information, like personal contact information for uh, surgeons, about three hundred thousand uh, in the U.S. And so now we can bang it up against that. The, my only cost was I paid a guy um, $500 to set up a Tableau dashboard for me because I didn't want to do it over the course of a weekend, right? Like, that's all it was. Right. And and now, I mean, think about the value of that, right? I've got knee implants, and I want to be able to look at how many did Dr. Smith do versus Dr. Jones versus Dr. Patel. Like, that's pretty powerful. I'm building up territory maps, right? Not now we can go in and we can run those data, Um and And then, match it up to our database to say, "Okay, what are the zip codes? How do the reps align to those zip codes, And we can say, "Here's the value of your territory. Your territory could be twelve million dollars. You're at one point four. What are we going to do to get there? like how does that look And it just takes the guesswork out because that's that's what that's what good leadership is, right from a data standpoint. It's
2: like it should be giving you insights on how to how to run your business better. So Scott, if I was listening to this podcast, uh, what type of customer could you help? Like, if what type of decision makers and what type of companies could you help? Yeah. Um,
1: So with that with that system, anyone who has a product or service that is tied to a particular CPT code, um, you know, like just that's very very straightforward. Um, We've got another project where again publicly traded or publicly available information um we're looking at um skilled nursing facilities and this is what i I mean it's with a client of ours that uh they're really i like them a lot so i spend a lot of extra time on the data side for this um and so we're looking at um they have a product that goes into skilled nursing facilities we can get down to what are the um by by location uh quality metrics uh percentage of patients with different types of uh conditions so we can really hone in to say hey These are the the skilled nursing facilities that have a high percentage of people with COPD and have a a high readmission rate, right? So that's now your target. So you can do that. Um, You can do similar things around uh, labs. So we have a a lab um, thing. So anyone who's looking at procedure volume or or procedure mix as being a key driver to their business, uh, we could help with something like this.
2: That's cool. And does anybody else have or does anybody else on the podcast sell data or or sell a data service? I do now. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. As of 10 seconds ago.
4: Kind Um, of. I mean, we look at some data, you know, and and try to maneuver it, but not really a data service. So per se
2: and then i guess what are you know we talked about definitive and, and zoom info and some of these uh different databases which maybe folks aren't aware of these things and just maybe we should just go through you know what are the best databases that you guys have used and what were the advantages of those databases and you know maybe some recommendations because i'm in the same boat i don't sell data so i'm but i am always looking for the best sources so just put it out there. What sources have you guys used and and which ones would you recommend? Um, we, so we we
1: do sell data um, and do data work. Um, and so the other, again, we run a marketing firm, um, right, for those of y'all, uh, Um And uh, the big areas of growth for us in the second half of 2022 and into 2023 are data and CRM because those are the two areas that um, everybody needs. Nobody knows how to start and and we like those kinds of things. So this is the use case that I would describe. If you think about the data, the the way that, that we recommend using data is in like territory mapping. So go find the procedures and then actually put that data into your CRM. So you can get down to a specific doctor, a specific facility to say, hey, here's how many procedures that they did our ASP and the, those procedures is X number of dollars. So now you actually have a value for each individual prospect in your database because then what you're going to want to do, uh, and again, this is really sale, like like marketing focus, but then what you're going to do is you're going to want to tier your marketing efforts to say, hey, for our top, our A-level people, this is all the stuff we're going to do. We're going to do X, Y, Z. We're going to invite them to these events. We're going to do this, we're going to do this, like, and then there are C-level folks. We're going to do this and that, and right and do less, so that you can get the ROI off of them. Because right now, historically, everybody spreads their marketing and their sales efforts like peanut butter. And you know, I was a sales rep. I know I went to where people would let me in the door, not to where I had the biggest opportunities. And that's that's the kind of stuff that we're trying to trying to cure. Um, but but the data sets that we've used, so we we've used, we we have used and do use definitive healthcare. Um, We have used and do use uh, Zoom Info. We use, um, uh, let's see, on like contact information side, we have, there's a number of data shops that we like that make, that have actually good lists of people, right? Here's Dr. Smith's contact info, that sort of thing. Um, We pull a lot out of CMS. Um, There are uh, companies that really kind of focus in on the territory mapping piece. So, uh Med Scout is a good company there. Acuity MD is another um, uh, firm in that in that space. Um, yeah, those are those are the really kind of the main ones that I would look at. Um, yeah.
4: So let me ask the question from a, a different angle. You know, we we've done all of this. And if you're a sales executive, vice president of business development, what have you, what type of feedback loop do you need? you know, you, you put all this stuff out here. How do you validate and know that your investment is paying off and, and folks are using it the
1: right way? That's where your CRM is, right? I, mm-hmm. and, and again, sorry if I'm talking a lot, but these are things that I spend a lot of time thinking about. Right. And I talk a lot. Um, I, I think I think it's, we criminally underuse CRMs. And, um, and, and we think that there are these like monstrosities and beasts that need to happen. When the reality is, if you use a CRM well, it will take time and energy off of your salespeople so they can focus on high-value-added activities. Um, and and by that, what I mean is, Mike, you mentioned this earlier in the call, there's a certain number of objecti- objections you know you're going to get. Sales, sales to a great degree is very formulaic, right? I know when I get this, then I do that. Like, it's an if-then statement. And the thing that a lot of CRMs can do um, – is they can take those if-then statements and then you can make them automated. So we have a um, we've got a process in our own marketing where um, sometimes people are like, hey, send me some information about your about your company, right? Cool, we get that all the time. Everybody on the podcast gets that. I'm sure every one of you all does it. We have a, a sequence inside. We use HubSpot, and by the way, I'll just make a an unabashed plug. HubSpot's the right tool for 80% of the people listening. Like everybody's got Salesforce, you're spending too much and you're getting shit for it. But I can't I don't know if I can say Ooh. that, but a little <laughs> strong, but but it's not the right tool for everybody and you spend way too much money on it. But I firmly agree. Here's here's the reality. I get that request, I take their name, I I put it into a sequence in HubSpot, and they get a three-email sequence that Scott Alexander never touches that looks like me, sounds like me, acts like me. And then I get reports back on, do they open it? What happened, right? Do they open and go to this link? I'll, I have this insight that you would want before you had a follow-up conversation with them. So you have to set your platforms up correctly to get that feedback. And then if you're not seeing your, uh, your velocity go, um, go faster, your pipeline, your deal velocity go, go faster, you're doing something wrong. Either sales reps aren't using the data, got their own data, or you don't have the right system set up. You should, as a, as a VP of sales, as a CEO, you should be able to look at the velocity of your pipeline, and it should go up unquestionably if you add data into the mix. And well, as Kinder
0: said, though, that if you democratize it, so you do need the feedback from the sales force as well. You know, that didn't turn out so well because of this, this, and that. So you have to tweak some things. The other thing, listening to all of you talk about that, it really does allow a company, and I think we said this about almost two years ago now, but it allows the company to right-size their organization and not have so top-heavy. I mean, I hear all the time, we just hired, you know, five new you know, regional managers and all this sort of structure. But how is that payroll paying off for you? And are you adjusting it to make sure that it's meeting that demand where you are getting the sales and things? Mm
2: -hmm. Well, and one of the things that I would say, Tom, to your point about, you know, tracking activity is I've always been a big driver of activity-based metrics. So, you know, everybody looks at results. I want sales. Well, if you deconstruct that and you figure out, well, you know, how many calls does it take to have a conversation? How many conversations does it take to get a proposal? How many proposals does it take to make a sale? And you know, the average value of your sale, you now become predictable, repeatable and scalable. So in all the organizations that I consult all my own companies, the salespeople are required. It is not a nice to do, it is a must do. You must do this amount of activity. You must put this data into the system. And our expectation is already made that you're going to generate these results every day, every week, every month, every quarter, every year. And when you mm-hmm. do that, you will get the results that you're looking for. And to your point before, when you have achievers that are getting the result that they're that you're expecting and you have non-achievers that are not getting that result, you figure out what are these people doing, model that mm-hmm. process and install that into the people that you want to to do that behavior and that's how you get a great running organization. My mm-hmm. second comment is relative to you know making sure that they're, you know you're putting data into your CRM that's actionable. What's really important is that you make it easy for the salespeople to interface with the CRM. So, you know, your competitors, typically, what do you have? Five or six or seven competitors? You put that in a drop-down field. You make everything just easy so it's point and shoot Mm -hmm. to collect that information so that way they're not resistant to putting in the information. It's easy for them to do it.
3: Mm -hmm. There's three parts to to what I view. When we do sales review with our sales team and our marketing team, even when we're doing reviews with our customers, there's the there's me, there's you and there's the environment. So if things are working well, we've got a review. Is it me? Is it you? Is the environment? All three. Or if we lost out on an opportunity, is it me, you or the environment? And what I see when we're talking to a lot of companies is they only have an inside view. Mm-hmm. They never really look at data to benchmark what is happening outside. <laughs> I can't tell you how many companies I've talked to that when you talk about their pricing strategy, they're like, uh-huh. well, here's my cost. Here's the margin I want to make. And this is what I'm going to put it at. Right. And there is no idea of whether that is way too expensive or way too low. Cause they never look outside. It's going to benchmark re- their competitors. Right. Go ahead, Mike. What were you saying?
2: So I have a great one of those. So, you know, the, in, with that sleep apnea me a company that I was talking about the number one rep would go around beating his chest, you know, and be like, hey, is there any more business in that account? Do you have any more business within your account? So they, sp- oh no, I get all the business from this account. <laughs> and then we bought the data and he was only getting 10% of the volume. See? But 10% of the volume was a lot of volume comparative to what this small company was doing. So he was beating his chest thinking, I'm doing a great job. When in effect, you had other reps who didn't have as good of a territory that their market pa- penetration was 80%, but they were just in a geography where it, the volume didn't warrant it. So the top rep was not the best rep. He was just in the best territory. And so that's what data will do is just really level the playing field to the truth. Uh, yep. You need
3: to have that. you got to have that reality, check, that reality check. On things, You can't just look internally and you also can't just look externally, right? I think we've talked about it from all the dynamics. You have to have those three things in unison. Know yourself. We talk about it with Sun Tzu in our organization. Know yourself, know your environment and know your competition. That's the only way you can have real good success. And that's what data ultimately does. It gives you that opportunity to
2: take your hypotheses and check them against the reality mirror.
0: It's a great equalizer internally within provider organizations from past experience. You know, you have people, physicians who might say I'm the best surgeon and I have the best outcomes and all this stuff. And then you kind of put the data in front and goes, Hmm. Yeah. Well,
1: well, you are in a bubble.
0: Yeah. In a bubble.
3: <laughs> in a yeah.
1: bubble. We- I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it in a sharp left turn. Uh, we use data in the hiring process, so and I'm sure many other people do as well. But we use um, we use Criteria Corp. I, I'm not in love with them, but that's the platform we're using right now to get to understand like what are people's motivations, how do they work, how how well can they work through uh, challenging problems, things like that, because it helps you. It helps you get past the gut feel uh, of like, hey, I interviewed Tom, he seems cool, let's bring him on, and then you realize like, Tom doesn't know what he's doing, right? And um, so, but Tom Hickey does. Uh, but th- that way, you can get much more sort of formulaic about like, okay, is this is this person meeting the criteria of what my top reps look like, so that I can make sure that I'm replicating that versus trying to break out and do something completely different or or missing the mark.
2: Yeah, I uh, guess see that. I, I did business with a man, Van Miller, who uh, built an organization called the VGM Group, which is a multi-billion dollar services corporation in the, now now they're diverse, they do a bunch of things, but he started out in the um, home care marketplace, and, mm-hmm. how, and if you ever meet a VGM employee, they are the most wonderful, best group, they're employee-owned, and they have the best culture in the world, and I asked Van, I said, how did you build this amazing culture and this amazing company and he used a uh, a data personality test called the colors and he swore by it that this was you know this took all the subjectivity out of it and really gave objective data points on how to deal with people yeah i think that's an
1: invaluable piece of kind of what what you can do is there you know as much as we're all special unique snowflakes there are consistent themes and all these systems do is they find ways to identify, okay, what are the key traits or how is Barbara going to act in this situation? And as a leader, I would, I like knowing that. I like knowing how they think and how they process and that sort of thing. Because then it's not just a yes or no, right? Like it's more about, okay, how do I take this person with their unique skill set and put them in a place where they can be most effective in my organization, right? Yeah. Maybe the answer is like, no, it's not a good fit. But most of the time I'd say, where are, where are they the best fit? And giving you that data helps you to understand how they're going to process. Um, we we did just to give you an example. So back when I was at Medtronic, um, in my my first role there, we did one of those personality tests, and it was like the colors thing that you mentioned, um, where you could see like the how people make decisions, and it was eye opening because you'd realize these people that and everybody's had these like you talk to them and just like you're banging, you're like you're speaking different languages about the same thing. And then you'd see like, well, they're a data person and I'm an emotion person or this or that. And then you're like, oh, now it makes sense. And so all of a sudden you can figure out how to start to talk to people and interact with them. And it just makes you a much better leader and organization, all that kind of stuff. One of the things that we've done
3: to try to game game our satisfaction scores is the fact that we've recognized when we send clinicians out to work for companies, um, and we've got a 26 point rubric that we put all candidates through uh, to try to assess their uh, their their experience, knowledge, and and base, basic personality. And one of the things that we found is if we send two people out for a company and they both do a very effective job and the responses from the customers are always very effective. But if we get something and we do seven point rating scales, if we get something that's less than a seven, we ask them to just provide information. And what we found is when there isn't a corporate corporate, um, uh, uh, cultural fit with that person's personality. And so where I'm getting at this is if the corporate dynamic is one that is very technical and data-oriented, and we send somebody out there who's a big relationship builder, despite the fact that they're effective, we get less than sevens coming back. Now, when you ask the candidate, when you ask the reps why, they can't put their finger on it. But we found out it's because that person's not sitting there parlaying the data in the exact way that that it wants to be said conversely if we have an organization that is big into relationship building and we send a data centric person we've also noticed that again the scores are very high but we may not get perfect scores across the board and it's because they're like well that person wasn't as warm were they effective at doing their job yes is the customer now buying your product yes so yes, the answers are there, but just that warm and fuzzy is what they didn't get. So that corporate cultural personality fit is so important to the dynamic of everything.
2: It gets well, overlooked. What's really cool is there's a so I teach um, you know preferred communication styles as part of my sales training, and so there are things that you can do and questions you you can ask to assess what type of personality it is. So that way, as a salesperson, you then can adapt your messaging to be more in line to be receptive to the person that you're speaking with. And you can package it up a lot differently. So for instance, a visual and auditory or kinesthetic decision maker, you would package up differently and talk differently about your product or service and translate those benefits differently. You talk about data. There's a company called crystal that you can buy. It's a plug-in app that, uh, that you can plug in onto LinkedIn and it will assess based on what people have written on social media and based on everything that they can find, it assesses what type of personality that you're dealing with. What? So when you when you write an email, when you write it when you write a text, you can actually translate it faster than than without that data. So that's another way where salespeople can use data. To make their communication more effective. So, Mike, so,
3: what what does that say about people who put ketchup on potato chips? <laughs> you,
2: you know, we promised Scott we would make that public. So, yeah. <laughs> if, if we're talking yeah. about
0: ketchup on potato chips, we must be
1: close to the end. Yeah, I was going to say, you guys, you, and this is the last time I'm ever on, I'm ever on the show. This is ridiculous. I can't believe we're so. So, so harsh to me. Down, put him next I to me. It, I'm
2: sorry. It came out. You just, you know, it's one of those things. It's awesome. <laughs> right, so what is it?
1: Crystal? Because I'm going to yeah, go Crystal. download mm-hmm. this thing like right now.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. yeah, amazing. He wants to know his stuff. Yeah, I, I do. I want to see else. like,
1: I, I'm afraid that it's going to come back and be like, you know, male model, like good looks and uh, <laughs> right? what, I still want people to know that for me. Right. That's why we do. A, an audio. Format. That would be the dark crystal. <laughs> That's the one my mom does. Like she right. Yeah. So um, I was going to mention uh, one other thing, and then we should probably go around the horn and just, just kind of wrap, uh, wrap up close another data source that um, is really interesting for folks. If you are either a, um, building a KOL network, or B, selling into a research environment is a company called Cyleads, S-C-I-L-E-A-D-S. Um, uh, if you talk to them, tell them Scott sent you. Uh, but but we use them, we've got a, a client that's pre-FDA, and they're trying to build out a um, a KOL board uh, clinical advisors. And so you can literally get in and you can see, okay, who's publishing what in what places, where are they? How much grant funding have they gotten? All that kind of stuff. Like the data is stupid good. And you can also see, um, publicly disclosed, um, uh, grant based purchases. So if you have a product that is used in an environment where someone has a mass spectrometer, you can see who are the people that just bought mass spectrometers. And, um, so that's another, that's another fantastic tool that I, I highly recommend to the audience. Um, so, But let's let's go on. I feel like this has been a great conversation. We've talked about the use of data in really a couple of spaces. Number one is how do you orient yourself with your own internal data, right? I feel like that was a key component, right, focusing on CRM. We talked about uh, understanding the data of your customers, right, procedure volumes, uh, uh, readmission rates, that sort of thing. We talked a little bit about the use of data here in the evaluation and management of individuals. Um, right. So and then we learned that um I like ketchup on my uh, my uh, potato chips. So uh my parents are Canadian or they're from Canada originally. So I think that's probably part of it. But um wouldn't that be maple syrup then? Yeah and, oh you're or, right. Yeah, <laughs> <and back bacon. laughs> yeah. So um I guess let's go around the horn. Um who who wants to wrap up first? Kendra, you maybe want to share your your parting thoughts.
3: Yeah, I, I think you know, one of the most advanced companies really start to think about customer acquisition cost and cost of sale. And I think it's a dynamic that everybody needs to be thinking about. And that's what data provides, is the intelligence to make those less so that you can increase your profits. The more expensive it is to acquire a customer, the less profit you make. If you can acquire a customer at a, on the cheap and get one that is good and a long-term customer for you, it just increases your profits and makes everything else so much organically easier. And I think that's
2: the dynamic that we need to be thinking about when we're talking about data. Absolutely.
1: Mr. Spurdutti.
2: So in this environment, uh, great salespeople are really hard to find. I mean, it's a lost art. Folks don't want to put in the time and the effort and the study to you know, understand what it takes to really be effective with communication skills and product knowledge and market knowledge. It takes a lot to be a great salesperson. So if you're lucky enough to have great salespeople, feed them with the best data before you go hire another great salesperson. So invest in data and you will take those resources and scale a lot faster. That will be my first comment. My second comment is uh, you know, talking about customizing presentations and pitches. If you are interested in that personality data for outreach purposes, it's com is the The place where you can go for uh, perfecting that perfect pitch to a stranger. And nose is spelled K N O -O W S.
1: Crystal nose. I was going to make a nose joke, but Uh, uh,
2: that's
3: what I was. That's why. Hey, just because I got
2: this beak doesn't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Miss Miss uh, Barbara Strain, what do you uh, what do you have to say?
2: Well, two
0: things. Remember, Dimming said in "God We Trust," all others must bring data. And I use it all the time, but it's easy to remember to remind yourself. But remember, it's what kind of data do I really need? What am I really going to use it for? And what's that sort of single source of truth for that particular type of data so you know where to get it, how effective it is, how you can mm-hmm. use it?
4: Absolutely. Tom, what you got? Um, I want to close with the word Innovation. Oftentimes, we think of innovation as the big aha moment that will bring the new product that will just, you know, crush the market. But a lot of innovation is internal. And what we're talking about here is using internal processes, using data to enhance your internal team, which also is innovation. And and if you think about the investment in R&D for a new product, if you turn that around and invest it in your own team, your own data, your own processes, you might even have a bigger result than a new product.
1: Very good words. And I, I will end with Newton's first law. An object in motion tends to stay in motion. An object at rest tends to stay at rest. And so the biggest thing to do is to get into motion. Just do something. Right, Because the reality is what we've talked about here today is a high-level overview of what works across the board. For your particular business, there's going to be something that's really going to make the change, some innovation like Tom's talking about that's really going to make a difference. And the only way you will find that is by starting and seeing what works and then pivoting and changing and knowing you're going to mess up a lot. But it's that process that's going to get you what you need to be. Uh, so. Uh, with that, unless there's anything that's burning from uh, from the gurus, I feel like we had a great conversation today. Hopefully, uh, you list, listening in, uh, you took away and, and had some great insights and go do something. We'll meet you for the next episode. Thank Thank you
0: very everybody. Great. Real innovation is internal, and a large part of that is changing our way of thinking. We learned today about the data sources that are available and how to properly invest in your resources to optimize scale. With great salespeople harder to find than ever, it's vital to take advantage of all insights to your market and customer database. And the key to that is data. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode, and we look forward to having you on future episodes.